want to remind you that Abby over there is 17 years old, only 17, and uh, she's not there to, because we love her cute face, she's there, not only, and also not because she has skill, but because she's a worshiper, and this is what we're trusting the Lord for in, in, in our church, that people will be, be raised up as worshipers in their different skill sets, whether it's Worship through business, worship through education, worship through parenting. But there, there can be 17-year-olds already doing business in a godly way that will change the face of the planet. Why not? We cannot limit our kids anymore. Josiah was eight years old when he became king. And the Bible says it went well while he was fearing the Lord. He was a good king. While he remained in just relationship with the Lord. Great. So we're talking about wealth this morning. Wealth. Do you know what wealth means? What do you think when you think of wealth? You think of money. So one of the, one of the things that every preacher should, should do before he preaches, he should tell the congregation why he's qualified to preach on this specific topic. So I'm qualified because I drive a Honda. And also because of this, my bunk is full. For the English people, it doesn't translate that well. Couch, my couch is full. My, my bunk, is, my bunk is, is, is full. So wealth is obviously, it's a lot more than money, but we're specifically also going to talk about money. Because money is the one thing that Jesus spoke about a lot. And it's actually the God of money is mammon. Is the one God that he compared himself to. He says in, in Matthew 6 that you should choose. Either you're going to worship God or you're going to worship mammon. But you cannot worship both of them. And we're going to trust that God, through his spirit, delivers us of this worshiping of mammon. It's a demon. We just need to tell it to leave. I was so encouraged. Uh, Luke and the team is a leadership young adult young working leadership team, they all are down in Somerset West, and they're doing uh, just the freedom encounter there. So Luke says on Thursday, he just, he put out his faith, and he asked during a facilitator meeting, he said, hey, um, I can teach you how to drive our demons, or I can show you how to drive our demons. So he called somebody to the front, and he said, okay, so are there anything that you need to confess, anything that you need to tell us? Is there anything that might be an open door? And this person shared this, this story. And eventually in front of this crowd that have never seen, most of them, he says, have never seen somebody delivered of a demon. He said, in the name of Jesus, out. And God honored his words. And he said he looked so good because God honored his words and the demon left. A couple of them. So just with like we do that, we can also say, Lord, we don't want to worship money anymore. The world worships mammon. We shouldn't do that. So we're talking about, about wealth, and specifically, I'm going to talk about the key to heavenly wealth, to supernatural wealth, because we can acquire wealth. We, we know that there are rich people that don't know Jesus. Do you know rich people that don't know Jesus? I also, we know rich people that know Jesus. So if you are wealthy, doesn't mean that you're blessed. Doesn't mean that you're serving Jesus. 
It just means that you might have tapped into a principle that God has given to, to all mankind and you have acquired wealth or, if you have, or you have a skill set or you just have worldly luck, whatever it might be. So Margaret Thatcher said the following, No one would have remembered the good Samaritan, you know the parable, if he had only, if he only had good intentions, he had money as well. So what did he do? He took the guy who's robbed and beaten, abused. He took him to the, to the inn and he said, okay, I'll pay for him to stay. But also, if there's any other needs, I'll come back and I'll pay for that as well. So we want to do good. We want to change the world. Then we need to talk about, yes, spiritual gifts, fruit of the Spirit, how to be disciplined, how to show character. But we also need to talk about money because we can do things with money. We can actually beat the devil at his own game. It is his game. So if we use money in a godly way, we can actually impact the nations. And we're going we're to look at that. So first off, just want to touch on a, on a truth in Deuteronomy 8, verse 11 to 14, 17, and also 18. It says, be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws, and his decrees that I am giving you this day. When God says that, there is a reason for him saying that. He wants us to be within the bounds of his kingdom. There's something that we can learn while obeying him. He's not a slave driver. He says, hey, if you stay within these bounds, then I can bless you. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when you your herds and flocks grow large, and your silver and gold increase, and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud, and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Because if we acquire wealth, then the temptation is there to think that we don't need God. That's where Europe is currently. Europe, the foundation of Europe, the foundation of of the, the innovation, the industrial revolution was the reformation, which was basically people saying, I'm going to worship Jesus, not only on a Sunday, but I'm going to worship him through everything that I do. So if you start doing that, then God's going to bless you. And what's going to happen? You're going to acquire wealth. But now the temptation then is for you to say, because of my wealth, I don't need God. I don't need God. And it's interesting if you think of where, where athe atheism prevails and abounds, we think of the first world countries. Atheism is not a concept within poorer countries. Why? Because in a first world country, you don't need God. But if, you, if you're poor, you, you're dependent on a higher being. Whether you're an Indian and want to worship a thousand and one gods, or you're in Africa, you want to worship something because you need something. You need a higher power to intervene in your life. And then verse 17, you may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember, the Lord your God 
for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. Wealth is good because God created or has given us the ability to create wealth. It's not a bad thing. Money is not a bad thing. The Bible says, doesn't say money is the root of, of sorry, doesn't say money is evil. It says money is the root of, of all evil. Wealth is good because God gave us the ability to create wealth. It is part of his covenant, the relational partnership that he has with us. He wants to do it together with us, but the blessing easily corrupts. So important. We understand that it's, it's good. It's good. If you want to go to school, go to university, create some wealth for you and the generations to come, that is, it's good. But it so easily corrupts. And we're going to look at how can we keep ourselves from, from being corrupted, but also going on the offense where we're like, okay, we're going to use what God has given us, and we're going to take land. We're going to take uh, the kingdoms of this world. We're going to advance God's, God's kingdom. So now we're going to go to Luke 19. is the parable of the, of the ten minas. In, in the Matthew, in Matthew, in the Gospel of Matthew, it talks about the talents. But th- this is just a different version. And for, I think for our purpose today, I think this is the better one. So what happens is this, this, uh, this Lord, this boss, he goes away and he hands his servants ten minas. So it's a amount of money that... Uh, that equals almost like three months of wages. So think of your boss goes away. He says, hey, uh, I'm going to give you salary up front for three months. So see what you can do with it. Then he comes back and the first came before him saying, Lord, your mina has made 10 minas more. And he said to him, well done, good servant, because you have been faithful in a very little three months salary, your you shall have authority over what? Over 10 cities. Interesting. The boss, and, and God is using this to explain to us a spiritual truth. He says, hey, you've been faithful in the very little. I'm not going to give you influence over 10 cities, 10 towns. And then another one comes with five, and then... We look at the last one. Then another came saying, Lord, here is your mina, which I kept laid away in a handkerchief. For I was afraid of you because you are a severe man. You take what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. So the first truth here is money are the very little that are given to us. It's the grade one test or the great double R test that actually gives you permission to go on to great R to great one. It's the kingdom garden of the kingdom. If you, if you pass this, then you can go higher. In Luke 16, he talks about we need to be faithful with unrighteous mammon, unrighteous money, so that we can receive the true riches. So we're not after 
Hey, God, I'm going to sow so that I can reap a blessing from you. And that's my ultimate goal, to be wealthy and to live in George, to play golf and to serve every day and to just enjoy the beautiful mountains. No, God's saying, hey, if you pass this test, then I know I can trust you with the more. And what is the more? The more is influence over cities, over towns. I had the privilege of meeting with the municipal manager a week, and a week and a half ago. And we were just sitting and I asked her, so what's your vision for George? Because I think the kingdom needs to play a role in that. And she was talking about taking George off, off the grit and building so that we don't, are not dependent on ESCOM. And they're talking about development and infrastructure. And they just received a massive grant. I think it's, I think it's, she said, one billion from National Treasury, the biggest that any town that's not a metropole received to build and invest in infrastructure. Amazing. Love the conversation. And I see there's so much that we can do as a church to get involved there. And there's some plans to get involved in, in just the city and seeing that God prospers the city because if he prospers the city then his name will be great because one of the visions or one of the prophetic words over George is that George will be a prototype city people will fly in not just for holiday not just for the beaches but actually look at how the city is run so they can take this copy paste into Beaufort West into Bloemfontein and and we need to think of that but then how do we get to that place? We don't step into that first off. Because when we talk about church and our, our role and our responsibility with, for instance, the municipality or even um, just government here, there's often people that are very reserved because the church has tried. And the church failed. Not every time. But sometimes they, they became greedy. They wanted something. They didn't want to serve. We want our name and the renovation there with the city hall. Mooi, shofar, christen, gemeentheid. 3.5 miljoen geskenk. No, our goal is to, to receive what God has given us, to be good stewards, and to eventually serve the city. That everybody will know, wow, those people serve not to get something, but to glorify Jesus. And what, what will happen? People start pointing towards our God. Hey, those, those are the people serving the living God. Those are the people that are willing to go the lowest. Clean the toilets. Do the most menial tasks just to glorify their Jesus. So money is a stepping stone into the stewardship of cities. And if you think of the Great Commission to actually disciple nations, then we, we need to make those steps. So how can we be faithful in that? It's the very little. And then we see in that last, last guy who came to the Lord and said, Hey, I've hid it away in a handkerchief. Why? Because I was afraid of you. One of the big reasons, and this is, we're starting to get to the key of heavenly wealth, is fear. We fear, 
And therefore, we cannot receive the heavenly blessing of, of wealth. So the key is love. If fear is the problem, then love is the solution because love drives out fear. That's what Apostle John, the apostle of love, says so clearly in 1 John 4 verse 18. Fear gets driven out by the love of God. So here is the key. You need to understand God's love. One is God loves me. God loves me. And God's not loving you like your dad loved you or your mom loved you. Way beyond. He goes and sacrifices his son for you. He loves you. And then the second one is that God loves the world. God loves the poor. He loves the rich. He loves the middle class. He loves the people on the other side of the planet. He loves everybody. And he wants to resource you to reveal that love to the world. Not only for your needs, but also for the needs of others. He's going to give you more that you can handle so that you can give towards others so that the love of God can be revealed to the world. Who of you have been in a situation you thought, wow, this is such an upright man with, the, with an upright business idea or the upright just thing that he needs and, and you're like, wow, I just don't have the resources now. To actually make the difference. I'm not a good Samaritan. I can take him to the inn, but I won't be able to pay for him to get whole, to get healed, to get rehabilitated. So God says he loves you and he loves the world and he actually wants to use you. My biggest fight with Christians is that they don't believe that God can use them to change the world. Because you have too many mistakes you have done too many wrong things. You come from this broken, dysfunctional family and God somehow cannot use you. No, God can use all of you. You must just say yes. So the key is love. And we need to explain that a little more now. Why? Because if you understand that God loves you, then God will provide for you. I have this friend. He has an extremely rich dad. My friend doesn't worry about, about finances. So we were talking about finances and, and our struggle as a family. We want to get more money. We wanted that 5.2 billion rand to change the world. And he's like, hey, I don't. And, and we have this discussion. I said to him, hey, say, Jan. Hey, Jan, I, it just feels like you don't worry about money. He says, yes. I don't worry about provision. This is because I have a rich dad. <laughs> if all else fails, I can go to my dad and just say, Hey, dad, I am sorry I messed up. And my dad's going to provide. And in a way, that is the picture of who God is. I'm going to try and stew it well. And this specific friend he is probably the best when it comes to budgeting and best when it comes to not wasting any money, wears the same clothes year after year.
because he's not intimidated by money, but he's also not lured into deception by money. Why? Because he has a rich dad that loves him, that will provide for him. And our dad in heaven, is, he is the richest. Romans 8.32, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? So Jesus is the ultimate price. How much more will he not also give us all the things that we need? Matthew 6, 26, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? So what God's saying is, I love you, and if I love you, I value you. And if I value you, then I'm going to provide for you. And ultimately, that is a prophetic word into what Jesus would do in paying the ultimate price. Because the price of something is determined by the price somebody is willing to pay for that specific item. And Jesus paid it all. So God loves you. And therefore, He will provide for you. And if we move from that place, then we access not only a principle to acquire wealth, but we actually start accessing heavenly wealth, supernatural wealth that will not corrupt us. So if, if you trust God because He loves you, because trust comes through love, it's like if I, tell my, if I tell my son to jump, from the table into my arms, he will jump. Why? Because he knows I love him and because he knows that I'm not going to let him fall and let him hurt because then he can trust me. So he's trusting me. So if you know that you can trust God, then it's so much easier to start applying the principles that Scripture gives. And I know all of you are good people here. You want to go like, wow, I want to throw money at life community services or local motion or, hey, a missions outreach or Rico that wants to go and settle in Mozambique and become a missionary so he can lead many and many peoples to Jesus or sow your tithe into the church. Most of you are like, yeah, I would be willing to do that. I love this church. You're good people. But the reason why you struggle to do that is because you do not trust God. Yes, there's the element of I want to be wise, I want to be a good steward. But if you look at Scripture, Scripture speaks of giving. You need to trust God. That, that you can do more with 90% than you can do with 100%. Because who gave you the ability to acquire that wealth that you now have in your pocket? God. Giving to God is like a child giving to you a present that he bought of the pocket money that you gave him. So, do you understand? God loves you. And therefore you can trust him. And therefore you can step into this place of supernatural wealth where you'll have enough for your own needs, but you actually step into that next level 
where you get influence over cities because you know that God not only loves you, but He loves the whole world. And He wants to make a difference through you, through your giving, through your resourcefulness. And then you become the gift. You become the gift that keeps on giving. It keeps on giving. It keeps on giving. Wherever you are, people just know there is a gift coming because you have stepped into the room. It's not always in financial terms, but you just keep on giving. It just keep on giving. And the more, more you give, the more you sow, the more you will reap. They reap. There's seed in the ground. You just cannot stop the seeds from growing. And from bearing fruit because it's all based on the foundation of the Word of God. It is true and therefore it will succeed. It will prevail. So, we need to stop worshipping mammon. And I'm going to read something that I read in a book recently. It just helped me to understand that. There's areas in my life where I still worship mammon. So I'm going to read it. And if you feel convicted, then just say, hey, Lord, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm moving my worship from mammon towards, towards God. And you will see that some of these are scripture that we twisted a little. But this is how we sometimes operate. Where does my help come from? My help comes from money. Money is my shepherd. When I have it, I shall not want. Even when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, money will comfort me. Money is an ever-present help in time of need. Money gives me peace that surpasses understanding. People perish for a lack of money. My money shall supply all my needs. A day, and I love this one, a day in the mall is better than Thousands elsewhere. Is it, is it wrong to, to want things, stuff? No. My kids, what they're, what they're doing is they want to just go and visit the Lego, Lego shop. You guys know the Lego shop. So what they do is they come, they just visit the Lego shop and then bring those booklets home. So every night, every night, there's this conversation. Hey, Dad, I want this one. No, no, I, I want this set. But with the Lego, what they don't do is they don't put the prices there. So then they go onto our computers, and they look for these sets, and then they come with a price. Like, hey, Dad, I want, I want this one. It's, it's not wrong. But where, where do you come from? What's, what's the motivation? I love it when my children come to me and think I own the whole planet. I can give them whatever they want. I love it. For me, it's a compliment. So one of the things that Kunal and I did from, with our kids from a young age is to tell them, hey, we, we, there's always, we never say there's no money. We always say we can make a plan. So Eva yesterday, she had all garage, not a garage sale, but a, a stall there in front of a house. The boys were, they were commanded to stop the cars, and they sold cupcakes and stuff that they got from Anna Mart. And actually, Nicholas came this morning. He said to me, Dad, here's my tithe. 
it's bigger than anybody of you that maybe, maybe, I don't know how you tithe, but he gave, so he made 200 rand yesterday. And he, and he gave me 50. He says, this is my tithe. <laughs> he, 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 and he brought it to church. I was, I was so blessed. He came to my office. He said, hey, dad, here's my tithe. So, and the reason why he can do that is because money doesn't have a hold on him. And he understands that there will be more. That God will give him more plans to go and beg Anamart for extra stuff to sell. Because that's what he did. His sister made some money and he ran across to Anamart and said, Anamart, don't you have something for me to sell? I also want to make money. And he put up his stall next to his sister's stall and he made 200 rand. It's brilliant. The ability to acquire wealth, it's in him. So, and, and one, he actually had to give some money to Anamart. Anamart's a good businesswoman. So yeah, here's something that, that changed my heart around, around money. When I, was a, when I was a student, I loved cycling, started mountain biking, and then to get some extra kilometers in to do my base training, I, I would go out with the boys on, on road bikes, and I'd go on my mountain bike, and they would obviously get a lot, f- it'll be a lot quicker because of just their bicycles and the thinner wheels less friction on the road then on, on when wednesday night i just said to the lord simple prayer i said lord i don't need a road bike but i believe you can give me a road bike just a simple prayer that next monday so it's a wednesday next monday a friend came to me and he said to me almost the lord told me last wednesday that i must give you my road bike and for me, that just revealed the heart of God, that he loves me. And that he is an extravagant giver. He goes beyond my needs. I didn't need it. I didn't go and do missionary work with, with the road bike. No, I just enjoyed my body. I enjoyed being fit. I enjoyed going with my friends cycling. So now I know that God loves me, therefore I can trust Him, therefore I can apply the principles of giving and knowing that there will be abundant, abundance coming back to me. Why? Because that's what the Bible says will happen. He will open up the heavens and He will bless. And that's the way that I'm going to teach my kids. Let's make a plan not going to come from my bank account, but it might come from the people driving past the house bank account. So let's get deliverance of the God of Mammon. And the, and the God of Mammon or the spirit of Mammon manifests in two things. One is you're always in lack. You always believe that you need more. But it also manifests in arrogance and in pride. Wow, I have acquired this wealth. I can just throw money at this thing and it will go away. I was in a conversation recently 
where a Christian guy said to me, hey, me and my friends, me and my rich friends, you go wrong in this area, we're going to sue you. (laughs) Christian guy. And I said to him, I don't like the way that you're talking because that's not Christ-like. Because what you're saying is that because of your wealth and the influence that that brings, you're going to fight the fight that we should fight in the spirit. Where we should be reconciled around the truth, not around the, what the world says. So we're going to take communion now. So if the facilitators, if you can just hand out communion. communion. But I want you to just go to Psalm 67, 1 and 2. It will be up in the screen also. And this is basically my, my prayer for my family, my prayer for this church. So it says, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine on us so that your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. Almost feel wrong. God bless us. Make your face shine upon us. Please, Lord, give, give, bless, give, bless. But then we add the godly part. Then we add his love for the world to that blessing that we understand that God wants to give to us because he loves us.